Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? Doing great. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. I'm really good. Are you looking forward to our trip to Atlanta? I am. I liked all the (laughs) sass you put in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I keep trying to look up Real Housewives of Atlanta hotspots, and I just, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think you're going to want to do it. Why not? I'll do whatever you want. Well, within reason. Yeah. Well, I want (laughs) to go to sleep when we get there and spend most of the time watching Bravo. Do you want to do that? (laughs) (laughs) I I could be convinced to do that, actually. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. So our meetup is next, this Saturday. When you hear it, it'll be this Saturday, two to five, Tavern, Mm -hmm. Thinking Man's Tavern, Thinking Man's Tavern in Decatur, Georgia, two to five p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I did all that from memory. I'm very, I'm you very did. excited. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm proud of you. So join us and other Southern true crime podcasts like Corpus Delicti and Trace Evidence and The Fall Line. Lots of other great shows will be there. Um, so yeah, meet us or don't. We're going to be weird. It's going to be awkward. Yeah. We're going to be, we're going to be super awkward. All right. So the only real announcement we have this week is um, we're going to be recording our Patreon episode Quickly, Mandy's going out of town at the end of the month. I'm moving. It's really just a crap show around here this whole month. <laughs> and so uh, we decided to do it on the uh, documentary Eileen, the Eileen Warno story. So that will be up on Patreon. We have some ads coming up over the next few weeks. If you guys don't like ads, totes understand. Um, if you're on Patreon at a certain level, um, those are all ad-free. We do ad-free early release. So if you don't want to hear and us- this certain level is $5. It is. Yes, <laughs> thank you. And uh, yeah, so if you don't want to hear us hawk stuff, that's the way to go about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Mandy, ready to get into this week's story? Yes, I am. Let's all go. right. So this week we have an upsetting story involving the disappearance of a very well-liked man from Irvine, California named Peter Terrio. Pete was born on July 7th, 1947, and was 51 years old at the time of his disappearance on December 2nd, 1998. It's been 20 years since Pete was last seen, and he is assumed dead, although his remains have never been discovered. We're going to learn a lot more about Pete and the possible explanations for his disappearance, but first we're going to tell you a little bit about Irvine, California in this week's segment of We Googled This City. Yay. So as of 2010, according to the U.S. Census, Irvine has a population of 212,000 people. That number sounds right to me. I have no idea. I don't know a lot about Irvine, like just off the bat. I've heard of it, but yeah, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I don't know. Me me either. Now you're going to learn. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So the city was named after California pioneer James Irvine, who was originally from Ireland. Residents are called Irvinites. I don't like that. That made me feel weird. I don't know why. It's like they're from another planet. What are we called? Orlandoans? Or- Orlandoans? I don't even know. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, Orlandoites is maybe worse. So <laughs> continuing, uh, Irvine began as a planned community and is home to such places as Disneyland and UC Irvine. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. So it's broken up into like these villages and each one kind of has like a theme. I I don't know. It's like an adult not adult, but like, <laughs> it's like something you would come up with as a kid and then you'd live it as an adult. Like, oh, I want a beach themed town. And that's kind of how it is. Okay, I want to move there. <laughs> I know. I don't think beach theme is one of them. Should have written those down. I didn't. So continuing, uh, Irvine is home to comedians Will Ferrell and John Lovitz. And the last but not least, Irvine is located in Orange County, California. The OC, don't call it that, is home to what has been called a true work of art. Some even call it a slice of heaven, Mandy, or even a cinematic masterpiece. 
Still, others call it the Real Housewives of Orange County. <laughs> I am done with you. <laughs> I think that your eye roll was audible. <laughs> okay, Melissa. <laughs> so Pete Terrio was what most people would consider an above-average human being. He was a thoughtful friend, kind to everyone he knew, and had really no enemies to speak of. He loved the outdoors, and he loved his guns, which he took meticulous care of, and his prized possession was his immaculate new Ford Mustang. He was – it was one of those guys who just was always keeping it clean and vacuuming it, and detail right. it was always up. <laughs> I need <laughs> him I in saying? my life. What I don't I know. I need him in my life because mine is a, like, on-wheels dumpster fire right Yeah, now. I don't know anything about having a clean car. No. Uh, <laughs> like the idea. Sounds cool. Yeah. In his younger years, he served in the military and formed lifelong bonds with his fellow Army comrades. After he rejoined the civilian world, he became somewhat of a counselor to veterans suffering from PTSD, and he spent a lot of time being there for people and showing them that he really cared about them and the struggles that they had faced. As part of Mandy's research, we watched an investigation discovery show. I'm probably going to make references to it. Mandy will, too. Do you remember the guy in the chair that's sideways for no reason, like he's (laughs) taking a glamour shot? Yeah. Yeah. This is not investigation discovery's best work, but- there will be references, so you'll have to check those out. Those That will be in the show notes. So the dedication that Pete showed to the military and to the men he met while serving eventually spilled over into his civilian life. He became a loyal and dependable employee at a Ford's Parts distribution plant in Commerce City, where he had worked the night shift for many years alongside his live-in girlfriend, Judy Vallett. Pete had been previously married, but their relationship ended amicably after they realized that they had gotten together at too young of an age. Judy had also been married before, and she had actually been married twice. She first got married at the age of 17 and was promptly divorced one month later. In 1980, she married Craig Vallett, and he was the father of her daughter, but they separated in 1985, shortly after her birth. Pete began dating Judy in 1997 after they discovered a mutual love for motorcycles and golf, which kind of did not go together. No, those two (laughs) things don't go together. I'm sure people love both, but I was like, oh, okay, those are two different things. The couple also shared a love for the outdoors and spent a lot of time together in nature, especially at Judy's mobile home in Blythe. The couple would escape their day-to-day life and go to their trailer to shoot guns in the woods and ride ATVs around the desert. Back to Real Housewives of Orange County, Mandy. The ladies went to Glamis one time and they rode all these different ATVs and they flipped. And I think Vicki Gumbelson had to be airlifted and she was very upset. All she wanted was everybody to visit her and bring her a casserole and they just would not do it. So this, this is really <laughs> quite a story. I don't know. <laughs> I, I get to do Real Housewives a lot this week. Just six months into their relationship, things were serious enough that he decided to move her and her teenage daughter in with him. The relationship worked, but it wasn't perfect. Friends and family say the couple frequently argued over what they believed was Judy's unfounded jealousy and paranoia that Pete was seeing other women. The lady that played Judy in this thing was something. She was dramatic. Well, yeah, she's an actress. Well, no, 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 no. This is like, this is like community theater. Yeah. But then all of the main players decided, like, they all had the flu. And so then all of their understudies came. And then all of them had car trouble. And then a mechanic comes and a mecha- all their mechanics take their place. And then that's what <laughs> ended up happening. And nobody there had ever acted before. And that's Melissa being petty for this week. <laughs> salty, salty. Salty, salty. <laughs> On December 2nd, 1998, Peter was finishing up dinner with Judy and her daughter and getting ready to head to the plant for his nightly shift. 
Judy saw him off at his usual time and went about her normal routine until a few hours later when the phone rang and Pete's supervisor was on the other end telling her that Pete had not shown up for work that night. Alarm bells immediately went off when Judy said that she saw Pete off to work earlier and they had gotten into a small argument, but uh, it wasn't that serious, she said, but um, she was concerned because of this argument and then the fact that he did not show up to work that night. Right. Because of Pete's dependable nature and the fact that he had never missed a day of work, his supervisor and colleagues were all extremely concerned about what could have caused him to bail out on his shift. Judy started calling around to Pete's friends and family, asking if anyone had seen him. Nobody had. After 48 hours had passed and there was still no word from Pete, Judy called the non-emergency line to report him missing, and a short while later, officers responded to the couple's home to ask questions and begin investigating where Pete was. Judy told the detectives about the fight that they had the night he disappeared. She said that the argument was about her 13-year-old daughter and how she had been wanting Pete to help her in acts of parenting, such as setting boundaries and enforcing rules, but she felt like she was always playing the role of bad cop and Pete was letting her daughter get away with pretty much anything. So she actually told the officers, as I said before, that the fight was not that serious, but that Peter did become agitated and leave at around 8 p.m., When Judy's daughter was questioned about the argument that supposedly took place, um, she said that she had been in her bedroom listening to music with headphones in and did not hear anything at all. Um, I guess this is something she did often. She's a teenager, like we just said. She just likes to go escape to her room and put on headphones. And I do the same thing, and I'm not a teenager. Yeah, right. (laughs) I know. So the detectives scanned the couple's home for any sign of foul play or evidence that any violence had occurred, but nothing really stood out to them as abnormal or indicated any wrongdoing. It is an uncommon in missing persons cases for the, quote, missing person to have intentionally disappeared, and the police wondered if this was just a case of a man blowing off some steam after an argument with his girlfriend, but they did have one thought. Could Pete have gotten into a car accident that had yet to be discovered? They knew that he drove a pretty powerful sports car and wondered if he could have been driving erratically after becoming aggravated with Judy that evening. Continuing their quest for answers, detectives visited the plant where both Pete and Judy worked and spoke to their supervisor and other co-workers. Pete's supervisor told them that Pete had been acting completely normal the night before he went missing, but he said that they should speak to Tex, another worker at the plant who had a close relationship with Pete and might have more insight into his state of mind leading up to the night he vanished. But talking with Tex led to even more questions. Tex told the police that Pete was the most likable guy ever and described him as mild-tempered, cool-headed, and responsible. The man had no enemies, and at this point, police had nothing that would indicate that any type of crime had even occurred. So they went back to square one and requested another meeting with Judy, and they also decided to start contacting some of Pete's old army buddies. Detectives asked Judy for a list of names of all the veterans that Pete had counseled in PTSD recently, and she gave them the name of George Duncan and said that Pete had been concerned about this particular friend. Um, He had been drinking a lot in the recent months and was just really going through a rough time. She recalled that just three nights before Pete went missing, he and George had gone out, and George got so drunk that he ended up crashing on Pete and Judy's couch. I guess there was some – he, like – puked in their I was gonna say, plant or something like a house plant or yeah something one of the like mechanics that. in the episode kept saying <laughs> he was pl- yeah he's like yeah i got so drunk i puked in the yeah. it was oh gosh it I was can't. yeah it was it was a bit much so the officers went to see george and they asked him about the last time that he had seen peter and george said that he didn't remember the last time but said that on the night of pete's disappearance he was at a local bar where he stayed until closing time and the bartender at the bar did confirm his story and said that George was a regular and that on that night he was there until two in the morning when the bar closed down. Hitting a dead end, the detective started to explore other possibilities for where Pete may have gone after his fight with Judy that night. 
Pete's colleague Tex had mentioned something about a rental property that Pete managed for his mom about an hour away from Irvine. He told the detectives that the renters were a real problem. Uh, They never paid their rent on time, and Pete was always having to go up there and check on things and try to collect the rent on his mom's behalf. It could have been possible that Pete could have gone up to the rental property and ran into trouble with the tenants, so the detectives set off on the hour-long drive to go check things out at that property. Detectives arrived at the rental house and knocked on the door. There was a car in the driveway, but nobody answered, so they started knocking on neighbors' doors to try and find out more information about the mysterious renters, or to see if they had seen Pete in the area recently. They spoke to one neighbor who said they did know who Pete was, and that he was a really nice guy who checked up on his mother's house, but they hadn't seen Pete in at least a few weeks. The neighbor also said that the guy renting the place was not exactly what you call friendly, and that there was constant traffic going in and out at night. Another neighbor said that she had seen Pete about a month before and that he was having a problem collecting the rent. Another very dramatic scene. Right. They just kept showing him going over and over again. Like the first time the guy like was like, here's your check. And the next time he just like <laughs> showed him the check. And then after that, it was like demon eyes. Like my husband even said, he's like, what are you watching right now? <laughs> it was terrible. When she was asked about the tenant, she also stated that he only came out at night and she had also witnessed many sketchy characters coming and going from the house. The detectives knew that drug use and drug dealing was common in that area and believed that the renters in the house were likely involved in such activities. There was a concern that Peter may have come to collect the rent and some sort of dispute could have taken place. This seemed like a promising lead and they decided to stake out the house and wait for the tenant to come out. By the way, a stakeout is truly the one thing I feel like I'm missing in my life. Can you imagine just sitting somewhere watching people get eating snacks yeah (laughs) sign me up except the first sign of danger i'm bolting out of there (laughs) later that night the tenant chuck was seen leaving in his vehicle the detectives followed him and eventually stopped and took him into the station for questioning chuck told police that he did know who pete was and that he hadn't seen him for two weeks he said that he definitely was not there on the night he went missing and that the cops could search the home but the only thing they would find would be drugs At least he's honest. I know. I like that, too. He's like, sure, cops, come on in. There's tons of drugs. (laughs) I mean, I guess if it's between that and a body, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's definitely not a body. Yeah. Tons of cocaine. Yeah. (laughs) So police were hitting a wall with their investigation. They had followed several leads, but were still no closer to knowing what had happened to Pete. But then Tex turned up with another promising lead. He told the detectives that Pete was somewhat of a chick magnet. Uh, Women loved him for his kindness and good looks. He was healthy and active, hardworking, devoted. Tex remembered that Pete had gotten a phone call at work from a woman that only identified herself as a friend of Pete's. Uh, And he said that after that phone call, Pete was shaken up, but he never mentioned who the woman on the other end of the line was. And so Tex just assumed it was another woman after his affection. do you remember the um, the news reporter in the story who was like, he was very attractive. Like, she could not stop saying, like, everyone loved him. Beautiful, beautiful man. I was like, are you being professional right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the officers followed up on this by asking Judy if she believed Pete could have been having relationships with other women. And she surprised them when she said yes, that it was a possibility. She told them that Pete had a lot of women after him. And then she revealed something else. Their fight the night of his disappearance actually had nothing to do with her daughter, but instead they had fought after she confronted him because she believed he was cheating on her. She told the detectives that someone had been calling their home, but when she would answer, the person would just hang up. And when she asked Pete about it, he said he didn't know who would be calling, but Judy sensed that it was another woman. (laughs) Way to go, Judy. (laughs) Woman's intuition. Judy was fed up with having multiple women shamelessly throwing themselves at Pete, but she didn't have any clue about who the mystery caller could be. 
This information opened up a whole new path for the investigators to go down, and they formed a new theory that Pete was having an affair, but that he began feeling guilty about it, tried to break it off, but the other woman wouldn't let him go and possibly devised a plot to harm him. This was a lead they felt was worth digging deeper into. While police looked into the idea that Pete was seeing women other than Judy, they also focused their attention on another troubling detail. It had been six days since Pete went missing, and not only had they not found him, but they had also not found his beloved car. They knew through their investigation that Pete absolutely loved his Mustang and spared nothing when it came to the vehicle. They hadn't previously considered the idea that he may have had some sort of tracking device or GPS system on the car, but they learned that he had a low-jack tracking device installed on the car and eventually got a hit. This is 90s? In the 90s? Yeah. I like a low-jack. That's yeah. just a fun name to yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is funny because now you'd be like, ah, track their cell phone. Or, you know, and now they're like, well, I guess maybe he could have a tracking device on his car. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Someone loaded their computer in 30 minutes. We'll be able to search for this. <laughs> so they found the Mustang just three miles away from where Pete and Judy lived. The car was found in an apartment complex parking lot. The convertible top was up, the doors were locked, and the alarm had been set. The keys were not in the ignition, and everything appeared completely ordinary around the car. The police were puzzled, but initially believed that the affair theory was correct and that Pete was probably inside one of the apartments, alive and with another woman, until one very observant officer noticed something strange about the car. The driver's side seat was pulled forward into a position that led officers to believe that someone much shorter than Pete had been the last one to drive the car. Literally nothing like that would ever happen to me. Like... They'd just be like, no, obviously this very tall man was driving this car. <laughs> <laughs> but also, yeah, I, I was kind of blown away that like they would notice something like that. That is an observant officer. It I, is. To even say like, that looks like it's a little too far forward yeah. for like our, you know, our victim to be driving it. Like, right. this is why I'm not an officer. I would never notice something like that. <laughs> They'd be like, there is a trail of blood leading to this house. And Mandy would be like, the other way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> They started talking to residents at the apartment complex, but none of them seemed to know who Pete was and had never seen him before, and he didn't have any friends or acquaintances that lived there either. Step into the glitzy world of June's journey and prepare for an adventure that's out of this world. Get ready to ditch the dull and dive into a world where mystery meets glamour and where June Parker's drama-filled escapades will have you hooked faster than you can say, flapper dress. Whether you're itching for a whodunit fix or just craving an escape from the mundane, June's journey is your ticket to excitement. Follow June as she unravels family secrets and untangles the web of mystery surrounding her sister's death. It's like joining a high society soiree, but with way more intrigue and way fewer dull conversations about the weather. Just kidding. You know we love a weather chat. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and immerse yourself in a world where every corner holds a new clue and every twist keeps you guessing. But hold on to your pearls because June's journey isn't just another run-of-the-mill mobile game. I'm already knee-deep in the fifth chapter of June's journey, and each chapter is more fun than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the toe-tapping music, everything about June's journey screams class. So what are you waiting for? Step into June's world and let the adventure begin. Can you crack the case? Download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. How's that saying go? Failing to plan is planning to fail. And as much as I'd like to pretend I could just wing it through life, I know that I can't. But no matter how much planning I do, if I can't get a good night's sleep to execute it, all the planning in the world couldn't save me. And I'm sure you've been there before too. But thanks to Magnesium Breakthrough, no matter what my day looks like, I know I can go into it being well-rested and feeling great. 
For me personally, taking magnesium breakthrough before I go to bed has helped me solve some of those sleep problems, including that winding down after a long day, as well as tossing and turning while I'm rehashing literally every second of the day. And while there are a lot of magnesium supplements out there, only one can give you all seven forms of magnesium that are designed to help calm your mind and help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up feeling refreshed, and that is Magnesium Breakthrough. For an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to buyoptimizers.com slash moms. Do it now. Your body and brain will thank you. Again, that's buyoptimizers.com slash moms and use promo code moms during checkout to save 10%. In the midst of all this, another one of Pete's colleagues came forward. It was a young woman, about 19 years old, named Heidi, and she had some information that she thought police might want to know about. She told them that she had been having a really hard time at work uh, with Judy in particular because Judy was under the very false impression that this 19-year-old was having a secret relationship with Pete, who, as we said, was 51 years old at the time. Things had gotten so bad between Heidi and Judy that Heidi had to get the union involved to make it stop. After speaking to Heidi, the detectives were convinced that she was telling the truth and that she had never had any kind of relationship with Pete. And so they actually began to suspect that Judy may be more of a problem in this case than what they had originally thought. By the way, I hate this story because my mom's name is Judy. <laughs> oh, you know, I was just thinking, I always think when I hear the name Judy, my aunt's name is Judy. Um, Judy, Judy, Judy from Andy Griffith. Goober says it. He always says Judy, Judy, Judy. Okay, well... If somebody doesn't know my age, they have to be so confused. My references are all over the place. The police brought a canine unit in to sniff out Pete's car. They used a bloodhound that was specifically trained in tracking human scents. The hope was that the dog would lead them to where Pete was, possibly somewhere in this apartment complex where the car was parked. But instead, the dog sniffed out the car, um, took off towards the main street, and led the officers right back to Judy's house three miles away. And when they arrived and the dog got there, um, it actually alerted on Judy, which officers took to mean that Judy was the last person to drive the car. So this confused me just a little bit. And I feel like I get tripped up on some things like this in a lot of cases where, yeah, yeah, the the dog picked up her scent in the car and found her, but it was her boyfriend's car. Like, I don't understand how they figured, like, this must mean that she was the one who drove it because – to me, it doesn't seem surprising. That's like them saying like, well, you know, we found your DNA like on your hairbrush. Well, yeah, I hold my hairbrush all the time. Like, you, right. know, you know what I'm saying? Like stuff like they, that. They say that sometimes with like in in an apartment building or something, they're like, oh, and we found this person's fingerprints. Well, that's where their sister lived. Of course you found, like, how, how is that? That's scary. Yeah, <laughs> that's it is. That's what we're going off Yeah, of. It's a little bit scary. So the police were even more suspicious of Judy at that point, and they felt that she had not been totally honest. When they told her what was going on and that they had found Pete's car and that the canine unit had indicated that she had been in the car, um, she kind of played dumb and asked them where they found the car. And when they told her, she gets angry and, like, suggests that Pete must be having an affair with someone from the complex. And, you know, they needed to go door to door and find him and, and question people and everything. At this point, officers decided they weren't going to show all their cards to Judy, and they set up a ruse, which is by definition an act intended to deceive someone. Mandy wrote in big later letters, a.k.a. a lie. <laughs> <laughs> this is totally legal in the state of California, and we've mentioned this in other episodes as well. It's a controversial practice in law enforcement, and detectives use this tactic to provide false information to a suspect in order to test their truthfulness. In this case, they told Judy that there was a man who had parked his car next to where Pete's car was found, and that this man had been victim to several car burglaries and had set up a camera on it to catch whoever was robbing him. 
They said that the camera on this man's car, which, by the way, is literally the most random story I've ever heard. In yeah, my life. I don't even know where they came up with this one. I'd stop parking my car there. Um, so that camera had captured the moment that Pete's Mustang was parked and that the video of the person, at the, and they had video of the person who had gotten out of the car and walked away. The goal was to scare Judy into confessing the truth, and it worked. Judy cracked under the pressure, but she did not confess to murder. She simply changed her story just a little and told the officers that after the two of them had a fight, Pete took off on foot, and since she was so angry with him, she decided to drive his car to the complex, leave it there, and walk home in hopes that someone would steal Pete's car. Well, she showed him. That's <laughs> the most sure random story in the world. Talk I know. About, that's like coming up with a story on your feet and like... Right. <laughs> Let's see where this one plays out. There's really no good answer. The detectives were not buying this story, for reasons stated before, and believe she was now the prime suspect in whatever happened to Pete. But they didn't have enough to arrest her at this point, so they told her they'd be in touch, and they set up 24-hour surveillance on her. The police had a lot on their plates with this case. It's like they had all the pieces of the puzzle but couldn't make them fit together. And then another woman came forward and wanted to speak to the detectives in connection with this case. Her name was Mindy Franklin, and she had been good friends with Pete. They had become drinking buddies and confidants, and she had just gotten back from a vacation in Hawaii and was shocked to hear about Pete's disappearance. She felt compelled to inform the detectives that Pete had confided in her that his relationship with Judy was not all sunshine and rainbows, and that Judy was an extremely jealous woman, and that he wanted out of their relationship. So she suggested that the detectives check out Judy's trailer in Blythe that we mentioned earlier. And um, she had said actually that they she had gone there with the couple and like – so she knew about it and like right. they had gone there to shoot guns and stuff. So she was just like, you might want to go there and just make sure, you know. If you didn't yeah. find anything at their home, like maybe you should check here. Yeah, yeah. So a search warrant was obtained first for the home that Judy and Pete shared. And when they started looking around, they found evidence that they had not seen on their first initial visit to the home. A trail of blood drops from the bedroom to the garage and more blood on the tailgate and in the bed of Pete's truck that was parked inside the garage. So a new theory was born that Judy had killed Pete in the house, dragged him to the garage and placed him in the bed of his truck to dispose of his body. They believed that Judy would be capable of such a feat because her job at the Ford plant required a level of strength that would have allowed her to move a human body on her own um, because that is something that like does need to be taken into consideration I feel like like could this person even do that right because it's not going to be easy to move um, literally dead weight she worked in like a position where she had to lift a lot of weight at work and she could have done that yeah but also this means that she would have killed him while her daughter was there right I mean that's what it sounds like that's terrible terrible yeah in light of this new evidence police were able to obtain another search warrant for Judy's trailer in Blythe the area where this trailer was located was very popular as a gold mining spot in the California desert, which meant there were already deep holes dug all over the place and that this was a popular location to bury murder victims. That is terrifying. I know, but it's like um, it's like the Everglades. I've always heard that about the Everglades. Like oh, if you're yeah. going to dump a body, you dump it there. I mean, nobody take me up on this. Right. We're if, not giving tips. <laughs> yeah. 10 out of 10 would not recommend doing this <laughs> if anybody that could prosecute us is listening to this. When they arrived at the trailer, there was no sign of Pete on the property except for the fact that all of his guns were inside. Pete was the type of guy who was always taking very meticulous care of things. Mandy, we talked about the um, car and his guns were the same way. And he knew how to handle and store his firearms in a safe and appropriate manner. Red flags went off when the detectives discovered that one of Pete's guns, a Sig Sauer, was missing two rounds and had not been rendered safe. 
The magazine of the gun had been removed, but there was still a bullet in the chamber, which was not how Pete would have stored his gun. So they believed that someone else with less experience and gun safety knowledge had used it. They continued to search the property for more clues and eventually found a military-style shovel in a shed that had fresh dirt on its edge. After speaking to a neighbor, they learned that Judy had been seen pulling a trailer full of what looked like garbage on the back of her ATV. They had all they felt they needed, and they returned to Irvine to arrest Judy. But they still had a long road ahead of them. They still hadn't found Pete's body, which would make it hard for the DA to get a conviction. It's extremely hard to convince a jury that a person is dead and not just missing when you don't have a body to prove exactly what happened to them. It took three trials for Judy's conviction to finally stick. She was painted as the jealous girlfriend who ended up murdering an innocent man because she couldn't get over her unsubstantiated jealousy and paranoia that he was sleeping with other women. In her first trial, she was found guilty, but the conviction was overturned after Judy made a fuss um, over this whole scenario where the court had, according to her, improperly replaced a juror um, for refusing to deliberate. I read a whole entire like court document on what went down, and I guess it was like uh, one of the jurors was like the group, the jury as a group was saying they wanted to talk about like a specific piece of evidence in the case. And this one juror was saying like, they didn't think that was important and they didn't want to deliberate on that. And so they replaced that juror after they had already heard the whole trial and everything. They replaced it with an alternate juror because this person was like, according to them, refusing to deliberate. So her uh, conviction was actually overturned because after that, like they, they, the jury with the new person, they found her guilty, but then, um, she was like, well, you know, it could have been different yeah, if they didn't replace that juror. So mm-hmm. that one was overturned. Um, so that makes sense. I'll give her that one. I think that makes sense. Not that yeah. you, I don't know, you can convince other people, but it only takes one person to just be a holdout. Yeah. So she was granted a new trial in 2004, and that trial ended with a hung jury. And so she was given a third trial in 2005. The jury found her guilty once again, and after the trial, many of them were shocked to learn that they were the third jury to hear the case. They just could not believe it. They thought um, there was, like, no reason why it should have had to be done that many times. Um, And so they said, the last jury said that the lack of a body did not trip them up at all when they were making their decision, and that Judy's conflicting stories to the police after Pete went missing and the two loaded guns found in her trailer are what really led them to find her guilty. I would say that Pete's blood in her garage probably played a part in that as well. Um, she was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 15 years to life in prison. Wow. So thank you guys to all who have submitted uh, designs for our design contest. Yeah. I don't remember what we promised we'd give you, but it's on a few episodes ago. Yeah. And <laughs> we'll stick with whatever it is that we said on that day. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up and put it in our show notes as well. So I'm sorry. I'm pretty I don't sure remember. we said we would give them a t-shirt and a mug with their design on it. That sounds like something we would do. Yeah. So I'm going to go with it. <laughs> so we are saying that the design contest ends on um, Sunday, October 14th. We're pretty sure we said that too. We either said October 13th or 14th. So we're we doing really good. so unprofessional I know. and unprepared. <laughs> but we've gotten a few designs and they're really, really good. And um, so we're super excited and thankful. And if you guys come up with, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It can be a silly line we've said on our show. We have um, mugs, like our most popular mug is one that says, we bring you the facts, we just don't know them. People love that we're idiots. And yeah, it's great. <laughs> that seems to this be our very This is the first and only one. time in my life it's ever worked out for me. I know. <laughs> so anyway, so, so don't think it has to be some elaborate, crazy thing. You can make it on Photoshop, I guess. That's the thing people use. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so thank you guys for submitting that. It's so cool. We're so excited about that. Now, Mandy, we have our last 
things before we go. Let's do it. Let's do it. So the first one is from Claire C in our Facebook group, and she asked, what is one song that will always be your jam? Hers is Don't Stop Believing by Journey, which is a great one. You can always sing to that. Mandy, what is your jam song? And I also, I've added a, like, what's your, like, ballad that you like as well, just because it's more fun to add to. Oh, geez. Okay. So my, like, one that I love to jam to all the time is I want to dance with somebody. Um, You want to feel the heat with somebody, Mandy? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that song, and you just can't help but, like, I don't know. It gets me moving. So to dance, we're not going to sing Sh- Channing. Don't no, worry, we're not no. going to get sued. Nobody we're not going to pay for this. We're just <laughs> simply discussing songs that we're not going to sing. Yeah. Okay. Do you have like a ballad that you like? Like, is there a ballad that you like? Vision of Love by Mariah Carey. Oh wow! You wasted no time. That is a good song. And a shout out to my girl Stacy P. She loves that song. Yes. She loves Mariah, and I love Mariah. And that's like your it's official meme. Or, sorry, your official gif is just yeah. you as Mariah Carey. Yeah. <laughs> You're both so extra. I love it. So mine are, I hope you know these. You're going to make fun of me. It doesn't matter anyway. Weezer, are you a Weezer fan? I'm not. Okay. Say It Ain't So by Weezer is like my favorite Oh, I know one. that song though. Yeah. 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 Okay, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I love that song so much. It's just a fun one to sing to. And also Sarah Smile by Hollow Notes is one of my all-time favorite ballady songs. I used to wish my name was Sarah. Even though I have a rockin' song called Melissa, it's a great song. You should listen to it. It doesn't make any sense. Never figured it out. But I love the song. Um, but yeah, Hollow Notes, Sarah Smile. It's like grocery store music, but it's good. I love it. And I always think I can sing it. That's the delusional part of my yeah. brain. It's like... And if no, you turn it up loud enough, then you can sing anything. Yeah. it's Yeah. So I'm excited about our trip to Atlanta. It's going to be lots of... Um, singing. Singing. Yeah. We're like, we're having to rent a car because neither of our cars can probably make it to Atlanta, but we are getting serious so we can listen to really good music on the way because yeah. we're being very extra. Very. But really, I mean, what's the point? We've going ridden in out. cars before together and like after a few hours, if you can't find a song, what is there to talk about? We talk all the Honestly, time. Honestly, I know. <laughs> I just don't like awkward silence. So we'll just listen to Backstreet Boys and stuff. It'll be fun. Okay. And then the other question, this is a fun question, and we haven't received anything like this before. This is from Alicia, and Alicia is awesome. She's done our pop sockets. She does our pop yeah. sockets. She's our dealer. And then yeah. something we're bringing to Atlanta for Mandy and I that I will not share what it is, but she designed it for us, and it's so cool and so fun, and I'm, like, dying over it. Um, so her question was, do your parents listen or parents of your kids' friends, do people in real life know what you do? Like we're secret agents or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you got, Mandy? So um, sadly, I don't think any of my like immediate family really is a regular listener. And if they are, they've never told me. I think my mom checked out a few episodes in the very beginning just to kind of see like what this was that we were doing because yeah. it's a little shocking when you say mom I'm doing a murder podcast and so she didn't understand so I think she checked it out a little bit in the beginning I don't think like my sister or anyone really listens um yeah. you know I I I think people have checked it out a little bit but not really but that's then, hurtful yeah. They're like, oh, I tried it. It's hated it. <laughs> yeah, right. But I then I am surprised sometimes by friends who will like yeah. reach out and be like, um, you know, or to tell tell me something about a specific episode and I'm like, I didn't even know you listened. Like, yeah. you know, and so I'm like, wow, like that's crazy, you know. But um as Our far mutual as, like, friend Danielle. Yeah. She loves us in yeah. total shock. Yeah. Didn't know. 
She thinks so we're fun. famous. Yeah, she always says we're famous. <laughs> we're not. We're not. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, as far as like the, re- it's not like a conversation starter that I say like I host the Moms of Murder podcast. Um, if it gets brought up in conversation with people, then it gets brought up. But um, it's not a secret. Does that answer the question? Did we just answer the question you at went all? A lot. <laughs> you went in a lot of circles there. Yeah. So my family, I think my parents listen, or my mom does at least. Like I got her into podcasts. And but ultimately her favorites are Pretend Radio. Pretend Radio <laughs> and Minds of Madness. It's very annoying. But like she listens just to be like nice. Supportive I think. and yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. And uh, my brother in law has been like a listener since the very beginning. Hi, Christian. And my sister, Megan. Um, and I, it's the same thing as you. Like, I get random messages from people that, not random. Well, they're random, but they're not random people. You or, said I was talking in circles. I know. <laughs> That's my thing. Um, no, like, my sister had friends from high school who were very, very nice, but they've written me, and I'm like, what? I, I figured you thought I was a loser. And they probably do. It has nothing to do with me as a person. Right. They just <laughs> like murder. So, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. People know what we do, but it's not something we talk about. Wait, is it? No, it's not. (laughs) I mean, I will talk about it if the opportunity comes up. But like, (laughs) (laughs) people are like, today I was, and you're like, oh, I hosted a show today. (laughs) Not quite like that, but uh, and no, and sometimes I do get uncomfortable, and like it feels awkward, and like because we recently went and visited some friends of ours and had dinner, and like they had some other people over that like we didn't know, and then um, our our friend was like, oh, and Mandy, like, she does a podcast. And I don't like being put on the spot like that, you know? Because then people, like, they're interested, but then they're like, well, what's it called? And, like, you know, like, uh, I've had – and then when people ask me, like, is it popular? I'm like, well, that's a relative term. Like, you know, like (laughs) – Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and then I always feel – then I feel weird because I don't know, you know. But anyway, that's that's the story. So, yeah, Yeah. it's – we literally do this show from Melissa's kitchen table, and we have since day one. We're not sitting in a studio. It's not like this big production, and we're just glad you guys like it. So, Well, at this point, they've turned it off because this question went (laughs) rambling, so. (laughs) I love that question, though. It was a really good question, yeah. Thank you. So, everyone, have a great week. Hope we see you in Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, not Atlanta question mark, but hope we see you in Atlanta. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.